2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Welcome to the London
1: Review Bookshop.
0: It's fantastic to be with Faiza again. Uh, we've been working together since about 2005, um, And Faiza's been through uh, quite an incredible journey in that period. Um, When I first met Faiza, she'd recently written her first book, Kif Kif Demain*, which um, I translated under the title of Just Like Tomorrow, Um, and that sold in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands in France, and for you, you'd been living in Pontin and around your banlieue in northeast Paris, and you suddenly found that you were touring about 27 countries, Um, and many of the themes about languages and cultures in your book were suddenly coming at you through all these different countries you were visiting. Um, we're going to be talking mainly today about Djurev Boliouffe, which is Faiza's second book, and we're behind. Faiza's already got a third novel under her, under her achievements, and um, I'll be working on translating that um, pretty much immediately, and that'll be coming out next year. Um, but we'd like to start with an extract, I think. We're going to read from Du rêve pour les and we're going to do a few extracts throughout the course of this session, Um, but we're going to start off by situating this book, um, which is on quite a different journey from the first book. So we thought we'd just give you a feel of the beginning, um, as narrated by the main character, Ahlem, whose name means dream in Arabic, and who is 24 and born in Algeria, and we learn has actually a pretty tragic history relating to that life in Algeria and why she had to leave there which forms quite a mainstay in the book um, but here she is on a cold winter's morning in France the same age as Faïza is today
1: <coughs> le froid de la grande ville ça caille dans ce bled le vent fait pleurer mes yeux et je cavale pour me réchauffer je me dis que je ne vis pas au bon endroit que ce climat là n'est pas pour moi parce qu'au fond, ce n'est qu'une question de climat, et ce matin, le froid ouf de France me paralyse. Je m'appelle Alem, et je marche au milieu des gens. Ceux qui courent, se cognent, sont en retard, se disputent, téléphonent, ne sourient pas, et je vois mes frères qui, comme moi, ont très froid. Ceux-là, je les reconnais toujours. Ils ont quelque chose dans les yeux qui n'est pas pareil. On dirait qu'ils aimeraient être invisibles, être ailleurs, mais ils sont ici. À la maison, je ne me plains pas.  « Même quand il coupe le chauffage. Sinon, papa me dit, tais-toi, tu n'as pas connu l'hiver 63. » Je ne réponds pas, en 63, je n'étais pas née. Alors, j'avance et je glisse sur les rues lisses de France. Je passe rue Joubert où quelques putes se parlent d'un trottoir à l'autre. On dirait de vieilles poupées abîmées qui ne craignent plus le froid. Les prostituées sont l'exception climatique. Peu importe l'endroit, elles ne sentent plus rien. Mon rendez-vous à l'agence d'intérim est à 10h40, pas 45, pas 30. C'est précis en France, chaque minute compte. The chill of the city, it's
0: freezing in this bled. The wind makes my eyes stream and I'm legging it to keep warm. Wrong place to live is what I'm thinking. The climate's not right. Because deep down, it's just a question of climate. And this morning, the crazy cold of France is paralyzing me. I'm Achlem, by the way and I'm walking through the crush of all these people in a rush, bumping into each other, running late, arguing on their mobiles, not smiling. And I can see my brothers who are so cold, like me. I can always spot them. It's something in their eyes, like they want to be invisible or somewhere else, but they're here. I never complain at home, not even when our heating cuts out, because dad just goes, you keep quiet now. You didn't live through the winter of 63. Not much I can say to that. In 63, I wasn't born. So I shuffle and slide along France's slippery st- streets, passing Rue Joubert, where a few prostitutes on the pavements call out to each other. They look like beat-up old dolls who aren't afraid of the cold anymore. Working girls are the climatic exception. It doesn't matter where they are. They've stopped feeling anything. My appointment with the temping agency is for 10.40am. Not 45, not 30. Things are kind of precise here in France, where every minute counts. And it's something I'll never get used to. I was born on the other side of the sea. And the African minute contains a lot more than 60 seconds. I wanted to start, Faiza, by um, asking you about the way that you're such an extraordinary observer of ordinary life. And this film that Andrew referenced in the beginning um, was a little arts piece that we made for Al Jazeera English for their Arts World program. Um, And in it, you really fascinated me, the way that you talked about how people are surprised in your descriptions of the banlieue, and they're they're, they're surprised that you're interested in people loving and having meaningful lives as opposed to just throwing firebombs at each other. Um, And that behind that, there's a financial problem but fundamentally you're talking about the extraordinary
1: detail of
0: ordinary lives
1: en fait euh, j'ai toujours été étonnée de l'approche quasi zoologique qu'on a quand on parle de des banlieues en France
3: but in fact i've always been surprised by the quasi zoological attitude that people had towards the banlieues in France
1: dire qu'il a pas plus de différence dans un reportage sur les jeunes de banlieues que sur les singes bonobos dans l'afrique de
3: l'ouest in other words, there's not much difference when you have a report about uh, young people living in the Banlieue or talking about the bonobos monkeys in uh, in Western Africa.
1: Donc, euh, en fait, moi, mon discours, il était très simple. Il est pas orienté pour délivrer un message forcément positif. C'est pas une volonté de ma part.
3: And I don't really want to. I'm not specifically looking to
1: delivering a positive message. That's not my personal desire. C'est juste euh, que pour moi, tout ça, c'est très familier parce que j'ai grandi dans un quartier euh, populaire. But all
3: of it is very familiar because I grew up in a very popular area.
1: Et que ben comme dans la vie de chacun d'entre vous, il y a des hauts et des bas, des choses jolies et des choses qui sont moins jolies, voilà.
3: And like for everybody's lives, lives like your lives, there are good moments and bad moments. There are things that are attractive and there are things that are that are pretty hideous.
1: Donc euh, ben au XVIIe siècle en France, on pensait que les femmes n'avaient pas d'âme. Je pense qu'aujourd'hui c'est un peu <laughs> du même ordre pour nous. Peut-être que dans 50 ans, on, on nous traitera comme n'importe qui d'autre, voilà. Well, in the
3: 17th century in France, women were considered not to have a soul, and I think that we're considered in that way, the people living in the suburbs, in the banlieues, but maybe in 50 years' time, things would have improved.
1: Donc, euh, c'est pour ça que j'ai, je, quand j'en parle, j'ai un discours très simple, je dis ben, nous aussi on tombe amoureux, on a des problèmes, euh, on rit, euh, voilà. <laughs> So
3: I say, you know, for us, it's the same thing. we fall in love, we have problems, we laugh. Uh, it's the same thing for us.
0: But what you've achieved, whether it's deliberate or whether it's inadvertent, whether it's not on purpose, is to humanise the banlieue. You have, at some level, stripped down the myths and some of the media impression that there is of that banlieue. How conscious has that become as you've evolved as a writer?
1: So, yeah.
3: Dans have. Can you just can you just quickly go through it again?
0: So you've, um, yeah. in some sense, stripped down the media image de that definition,
3: ou a vous avez carrément de, cette mythe, vous avez de trouver vraiment le cœur de cette image.
0: Is that a Est-ce que cette a
3: en tant
2: qu'écrivain
1: en fait, ça, c'est un peu la continuité de ce que je disais, c'est-à-dire qu'il n'y a pas une volonté de... D'humaniser, c'est plus la, percep- la perception qu'ont eu les, les, les médias, certains lecteurs aussi, c'est-à-dire qu'ils qui trouvaient que c'était très joyeux, très léger, très positif. Et en fait, c'est juste un regard différent sur la vie quotidienne. C'est-à-dire que je pense que il y a un, un regard de tendresse qui fait la différence. Well I didn't specifically
3: uh, set out to humanize that that, that uh, situation, it was just simply that the media uh, felt that I had a certain uh, tender, t- uh, a, set, a, set, a certain joyous perception of it, as did readers, but I was just looking at everyday life with tenderness, that was the difference, the way that I was looking at it.
1: So you're looking at this life with compassion. In fact, it's more than that, it's la compassion, mais En fait, j'observe mes mes sujets, mes personnages comme euh, des sujets qui qui ont du sentiment, et pas comme des sujets sociaux d'expérimentation.
3: Well, in fact, it's much more than that. It's not just a question of compassion. I'm looking at these subjects. I'm looking at these characters, um, and I'm and I'm talking about them. They have they have about their feelings. That's what I'm. I'm going into their feelings. I'm going further into their characters.
0: That links up very nicely with what we were just discussing. The um, the place where most of the action happens in this book is called in the English translation "Uprising Estate," and it's called "Cité de l'Insurrection." in French so that's a literal translation that I've done there um but Fayez has informed me that there really is a cité d'insurrection in Ivry, and it's this sort of um eye for detail that that nails it all the time but you were saying that usually estates are called by names that give the people who live in the banlieue the impression that they're basically an insect that they're one of millions if you could give examples of the estate names you were talking about
1: oh, on, je parlais tout à l'heure de, de, d'un quartier qui s'appelle la ruche par exemple où euh, souvent euh, c'est, son, c'est des nombres en fait qui nous donnent l'impression d'appartenir euh, de pas être des individus mais d'être euh, une partie de cette espèce de multitude donc il euh, y a la cité des 4000 la cité des 3000 moi j'ai grandi au courtilière c'est un insecte aussi hein <rire>
3: Well, I, I told Sarah earlier on because there's another <coughs> city which is called La Ruche, the beehive. And so we're given this feeling that we're not individuals. We're just part of a multitude. I mean, there's another city which is called the City of the 4,000. There's another one of cities 3,000. There's another one called cité Cotillard, which is where I was born, which is a tiny insect. And I'm not good at insects, I'm afraid, so I don't know what it is in, in English, so I'm sorry about that.
0: <laughs> we're told it's the size of an ant. Um. OK, let's... Um, Ground the conversation a little bit in Du Rêve pour les Oufs. So it's your second novel. Um, Your first novel is about a 14 year old, Doria, and she's of Moroccan origin, Uh, and it stays very much within the banlieue. This novel really extends the horizons hugely. Firstly, your character is much older, Arlem is 24. Secondly, you're dealing with male issues much more, her problematic younger brother and her father, who in some way has been paralyzed by the system. Um, And this is a character who has a very sad history with Algeria that we'll talk about, and who wants to go back to Algeria to put a perspective on life on the banlieue. So you're opening the lid you're going much further in many ways. Can you tell us a little bit about your motivations behind the second novel and what, what was driving you there?
1: Euh, je crois que, en fait, après le succès du premier roman, grâce à ce succès, j'ai, j'ai eu l'occasion de voyager beaucoup, parce que, donc, comme le disait Sarah tout à l'heure, le livre a été traduit dans plusieurs langues. Et en fait, euh, c'est comme quand on regarde un tableau au musée, plus on recule et mieux on a une perspective euh, Une vision globale de, de lèvres Et en fait, euh, plus je suis sorti de mon quartier, plus je me suis rendu compte de la manière dont on était perçu. Et parfois, j'ai eu des mauvaises surprises. <rire>
3: Well, I believe that um, I, after the success of my first novel, thanks to the success of my first novel, I travelled a great deal because it was translated into a great number of languages. And because of my travelling, it was a bit like when you look at a painting in an art gallery, the further back you go from the painting, the more you can actually appreciate it and understand it. And by getting way in away from my, from my environment, I was able to understand it better, and sometimes I had some pretty
1: unpleasant surprises vous allez dans, dans les mauvaises surprises, il euh, y avait... Euh, j'ai compris, en fait, depuis tout, ces quelques années. Euh, pas, j'ai eu beaucoup de... Comment dire... J'avais des conséquences et j'avais pas les causes ou les explications de certains, certaines choses qu'on vivait. Donc là, j'ai eu l'occasion de de m'apercevoir de, d'un certain paternalisme euh, qui existait encore de ce que j'appelle les relents de, de colonialisme et de soit ça soit une espèce de bienveillance louche mais qui nous euh, qui nous renvoie toujours à un rôle de de, de francais et j'ai, j'ai mieux compris en fait la manière dont on nous voyait dont on nous regardait Par rapport à l'image que les médias renvoient beaucoup euh, mais aussi euh, par rapport à l'histoire en fait Et l'histoire avec un grand H qui est pas encore réglé tout à fait à plusieurs niveaux.
3: well over the past few years when I talk about uh, unpleasant surprises what I was talking about was that I I, I could see what we were living through I could un, I could see what situation we were in but I couldn't understand why it was that way and then I was able to realize that of course paternalism still existed there were still the remains of colonialism we were looked at upon with a certain louche kind of suspicion and in a way we were still underdogs um so i was better able uh, we were under the french so i was better able to understand what the situation was and i was better able to understand the way that media the media interpreted things and also what was happening about history and history which hasn't really the, the history with a capital h which hasn't been resolved yet
0: It's quite interesting how all that is played out, actually, in the different generations of characters in Dreams from the Ends. Um, So Ahlem is 24, and she's the breadwinner. Her mother, we learn, was murdered in a massacre in Algeria, and that's why Ahlem had to leave Algeria with her little brother as a babe in arms and join the dad who was working um, on building sites in France and sending money back home. The dad now has had a terrible accident on the building site. He lent his hard hat to a friend the wrong day and he fell and he's never been the same again since. Um, But his attitude, and I've just got a paragraph here, he's known as the boss. It always amazes me, this funny gratitude the boss and the other men of his age feel towards their host country. You walk in the shadows, you pay your rent on time, clean police record, not five minutes of unemployment in 40 years of jobbing it. Et après ça, vous prenez votre hat vous rires et vous dites merci la France. Et um, cette attitude de of the, of the boss est très différente de la problématique que vous avez de Foued, qui est le plus jeune frère qui commence à faller foule du système.
1: Uh, je pense qu'entre justement la génération de nos pères, moi le mien il a 75 ans aujourd'hui, uh, qui ont uh, bien servi uh, dignement et proprement uh, la France, Parce que mon père il est arrivé en France en 52, donc vraiment pile dans le moment de la reconstruction post-guerre. Et, et je crois que le plus terrible gouffre, c'est entre justement ces deux générations, dans la, la quête de, de reconnaissance, parce que on a vu nos parents souffrir, travailler dur, et aujourd'hui encore, quand je vais avec ma mère à la mairie ou. Or, in the doctor, and he looks like an enfant or a mental mentale. And it's very, very hard for us because our parents, y trouvaient dans, dans l'idée que, mm, ils found refuge in the idea that they were not at home. And we on peut have refuge nulle part because we are born there, so we don't understand.
3: Well, I think that uh, there certainly is an enormous difference between the generations. Um, my father arrived in 50. My, my father is 75 today. Um, And he has served France with an enormous amount of dignity and courtesy. He came in uh, '52, just at the time of post-war reconstructions. But there's an enormous uh, gulf between the two generations. We've seen our parents suffer. We've seen our parents work extremely hard. And often when I've had to accompany my mother to the town hall or I've accompanied her to the doctor... I've seen the, 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 the people treat her as a child, almost treat her as if she were mentally retarded. And so our parents always justify that kind of behavior by saying, this is not our homeland, this is not where we come from, because they have been born elsewhere. But we are born in France, and we, don't, we, we, we find it very difficult to understand that kind of attitude.
0: But that seems to me exactly where your skill and your role as a writer comes in, because your job is to make sense of that. Your job is to join up the dots, as we say. And I remember um, one of the first times I met you, you gave me the example of um, a child being told off at school, and Faiza was saying that in the school where you grew up, um, there were a lot of children of African origin, and that uh, when the teacher told them off, um, as a mark of respect from an African background, Excuse me, using a whole continent as a generalization here, but the kids would, would just look down because that is the mark of respect to elders when you're being told off. And of course, they would then get from the teachers, okay. look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. How dare you be so rude. And and you you were talking about the way that you have to negotiate what may be very rude in one culture and very polite in another, and that you've always got this double gesture as a writer. You've got that that being in.
1: Et je crois aussi qu'il faut euh, faire le pont et accepter ce qui est incompatible. C'est-à-dire accepter qu'il y ait des choses qui ne sont pas compatibles et que on est en train de construire un, une nouvelle forme qui, n'est pas, qui n'existait pas avant nous. Euh, et une espèce de nouvelle forme chimique de français qui, comme euh, un peu des physiciens, euh, crée un nouvel... Un, une nouvelle génération voilà, qui euh, qui doit partir de, de nouvelles données et, tout en euh, gardant en mémoire qu'il faut euh, essayer le plus possible de, de, de d'honorer justement euh, cette vie euh, qu'ont eu nos parents. Parce que pour moi, j'aime pas parler de responsabilité, parce que je suis un auteur et j'aime écrire et moi ça m'amuse, je prends du plaisir à le faire et tout. Je fais pas de politique et c'est pour ça. Euh, mais il euh, y a quand même une responsabilité que je m'octroie, c'est celle de, de donner la voix justement à la génération de nos parents qui ont eu, qui n'ont pas eu la possibilité de laisser une trace, parce que eux quand ils vont disparaître, en fait, toute leur histoire va disparaître avec eux, parce que personne s'y, s'y intéresse. Et donc pour moi voilà, ça c'est la responsabilité que je me donne, les faire app- leur donner une, une revanche. Je sais pas si j'aime pas trop le mot, mais Une gentille revanche, quoi, pas méchante.
3: Well, I also think that sometimes you have to accept that uh, things, certain things are incompatible. Some things are absolutely not able to be compatible. And in a way, we're building a new <coughs> generation. We're building a new kind of chemical form of, of French people. Um, it's a new generation based upon new data. But at the same time, we must remember how we must remember our parents' lives. I don't like talking about taking on responsibility because I'm an author and I really enjoy writing. However, there is one responsibility that I do take upon myself, which is that of giving a voice to my parents' generation. Because when they disappear, there's not going to be anything left. All their history will disappear with them. So in a way, it's a kind of gentle, it's a kind of kind revenge that I want to give them. I mean, I think that word, voice, is, is absolutely key,
0: um, in the sense that you're, you're so strong on dialogue as well. I mean, you also have a background as a filmmaker. You have a very sharp ear. You love listening to how people talk. You're always scribbling down things that make you laugh. It seems to me that, that voice is absolutely integral to your, to your work.
1: Um. <coughs> J'ai, en fait, euh, je me, je, quand je parle de, de, ce, de ce choix d'utiliser la première personne du singulier, c'est que je ne pense pas que je, j'aurais envie dans, dans un court terme d'écrire des romans à la troisième personne du point de vue de Dieu parce que c'est vraiment ce qui me passionne le plus dans l'écriture. Pour pouvoir me mettre dans la peau d'un personnage et, euh, et le rendre vivant. Et donc les dialogues, c'est une des parties que je préfère parce que quoi de mieux pour incarner un personnage, quoi et, euh, I don't know where I wanted to go, but i je vais laisser Karine translate.
3: Well, in fact, when I talk about choices that I make, I like talking, in, in my books, I like talking in the first person singular. I don't think I'd like to write in the third person, because when you write in the first person, you're able to really get under somebody's skin. You're able to make the character come alive. You're able to incarnate them.
1: And I've just remembered
3: what I was going to, what I had slipped my mind for a second and I was being polite and saying she hadn't said that.
1: Absolument. Je voulais dire que je voulais dire qu'en fait il euh, y a le, le, le fait de choisir déjà ces, ces, ces décors euh, populaires, très marqués, euh, ces personnages-là avec cette euh, euh, cette histoire et voilà, ce souffle-là, ça, ça enlève un peu de noblesse, parce que ça c'était important, on en a parlé plusieurs fois avec toi Sarah, ça enlève un peu de noblesse euh, à ma littérature. Mais à la fois, je trouve que c'est un travail honnête parce que les gens que je raconte, que j'explore, l'univers que j'explore, je peux pas le trahir en écrivant comme Proust. Et voilà. Et donc, euh, je pense que c'est très important de rester... Euh... Moi, c'est ça que j'aime, en fait, dans le roman Vérité, un peu, même si tout ce que je raconte, c'est faux, hein, c'est de la fiction pure et dure. Euh, c'est euh, se sentir tellement euh, proche des personnages, les connaître sur le bout des doigts et pouvoir... Euh, and the
3: fact of choosing a popular kind of background, the kind of people that I've selected, the kind of characters I've selected, removes a certain nobility from my literature, but at the same time it makes it honest, and I'm not able to betray that whole environment by writing like... Proust, and it makes it a real uh, roman vérité. Although in fact it's not truthful because it's 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 pure fiction. However, um, I've chosen characters that I absolutely know from through, know like the back of my hand, and that's what I want to be able to do. I want I want to be able to get as close to the characters as possible.
0: I think that raises two points that we'll actually come back to later. The first is you're saying that that takes a noblesse, a nobility slightly off your writing, and that the danger there is that you are ghettoised as a writer. The danger is that you are not seen as the high intellectual in the French establishment. And that's a theme I'd like to pick up a bit later. And the other thing is just the sheer infectiousness of these voices. The right. C'est contagieux, tu vois. Ah. Uh, in, in fact, because uh, for me, I come from a vastly different background from you. In one sense, we you know, that, that's the joy of being a translator and a writer in this instance, that we're able to make bridges where seemingly our life experiences are extraordinarily different. And yet, of course, the stuff that matters is very similar. But it's your voice that, for me, has been the guide. Yes, I've lived in Marseille and you know hung out with a few Algerian rappers there. But at the end of the day, um, what, what's infectious about your writing is your voices and your joy in animating those characters and how I make that work for a British public. And then I have the the problem of of, of the fact that we don't have a a massive Algerian community in the UK in the sense that you do in France and that a comparable community might be the Jamaican but that's a whole different set of cultural references and that's another negotiation and I think a fascinating one for translators at the moment. It's a very quick aside but I've recently encountered a translator from Norwegian and Swedish who's translating a a polar detective fiction in Stockholm and she's got exactly the same issues that crop up in Faiza's book except that this happens to be based in Stockholm, and she lives in Edinburgh, and she's trying to make it work for a, an Edinburgh readership. But these, these issues of the slang and the different um, languages that that slang draws on, whether it's North African, whether it's Romani, whether it's West African, whether it's East European, um, that crops up. But if there's a power of voice there, um, which is what I think is so infectious, that wins out. Um, can we move on to politics slightly? So you said you're not a politician. Um, you write novels and you have fun writing novels, and that's what you're about. But it seems to me sometimes your politics is very strong in what you don't say. So the obvious example um, in this book, and I'll give you a tiny little quote from here, is um, this book came out in France in September 2006. Right. So in November 2005, everyone will remember the big scenes of the houses, burn, the cars burning in the banlieue. And then the following year, there'd been big manifestations with students as well. So there really was a a period of big unrest for France and a big question about where things were going. And um, the only reference to that in here, and of course Sarkozy, who had rather less power in those days, uh, famously used the word racaille. And that doesn't crop up in this book at all. Um, This is the only reference you get. And it's uh, Ahlem has gone to collect her little brother from football, and he's out late. I bet he's on the other side of the estate, at the Pierre de Coubertin Stadium. I've noticed how, much sports grounds get to, how many sports grounds get to be called Pierre de Coubertin. How unoriginal is that? If you ask me, we should rename our stadium L'Aji Doucoure, one of these days. So a shift from the founder of the Olympic movement to a Malian senegalese hurdler, Um, with French nationality. Anyway, the stadium's at the foot of what everyone calls the hill. It's like a big mound looming over these ends. So I position myself up on the top and I get this amazing view. The lights are coming at me from all around and it's beautiful. I'm surrounded by all these screwball housing blocks that hem in our lives here, our noises and smells. I'm standing alone in the middle of their wacky architecture, their garish colours, their mad shapes that have cradled our illusions for so long. The days are over when running water and electricity were enough to camouflage the injustices, and the shantytowns are far away. I'm standing proud and thinking about a whole heap of stuff. What's happened in our ends these past few weeks has stirred up the world press, but after a few clashes between youths and the police, everything's calmed down again. What can the carcasses of burnt-out cars do to change anything when an army of fanatics is trying to silence us? The only legitimate curfew is the one i'm imposing this evening as a non-french citizen on my 15-year-old little brother what do you mean by an army of fanatics trying to silence you
1: en fait euh, c'était incroyable la la différence énorme gigantesque entre ce que je voyais à la télévision et ce que je voyais de ma fenêtre parce que les les gens ceux qui me faisaient peur qui étaient effrayants Et ce c'était pas euh, les mêmes en fait. Et moi, je, à l'époque, je vais raconter une petite anecdote courte. Je vais te laisser commencer. Carré. C'est gentil. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, in fact, what really struck me was the enormous <coughs> difference between what I saw on television and what I saw from my window. And those that scared me from my window were quite different to the ones that I saw on television. I'll just tell you a quick anecdote.
1: Donc, euh, à l'époque, je faisais partie de donc d'une association qui s'appelle les Engraineurs. Et on faisait un tournage le tournage d'un film avec des jeunes entre et ans
3: so at that time i belonged to an organization which was called les Engraineurs and we were actually making a film with the young kids who were between 10 and 15 years old
0: and les has that double of troublemakers it? it's a film charity but it's got that double meaning of troublemakers
1: et, uh, et en fait on, ce soir-là je me, je me rappelle d'un soir particulièrement où on tournait en extérieur
3: and i remember there was one particular night where we were filming outside Et
1: donc on avait des projecteurs euh, très grands euh, dehors euh, qui étaient... On était bien en évidence. Donc on était très obvious,
3: il y avait des projecteurs. Je veux dire, il y avait des lights, on était très obvious.
1: Et, euh, et en fait, euh, aux alentours de 21h30, euh, il faisait donc déjà nuit, on était au mois de novembre.
3: Et il y avait environ 9h30, il y avait novembre et il y déjà
1: nuit. Et donc euh, en fait, il y a une... Euh, je ne sais pas si vous connaissez Action Man en Angleterre, mais c'est un petit bonhomme euh, qui... Voilà... And plenty of action men avec euh, So t- I don't know if you've heard of Action
3: Man, <laughs> but uh, there were lots of little action men running around who had sort of balaclavas
1: on and and they kind of jumped out of the bushes. Et donc, euh, il y avait quelques gens, quelques personnes qui étaient figurants en fait, qui étaient là en train d'observer le tournage.
3: And there were some people who were actually watching the um, the, the filming, who were actually who who were in in the film, but who were su- su- surveying what was going on.
1: Et aussi des passants curieux qui étaient là.
3: And there were also some curious passers-by.
1: Qui pensaient, j'en suis sûr, que ça faisait partie du film, mais pas and du I'm tout. And I'm sure they must have thought it was all part of the film. <laughs> Et en fait, quand ils sont arrivés, euh, ils nous ont tiré dessus sans sommation, c'est-à-dire que ils ont tiré sur euh, Pour faire disperser les gens. And they shot. Oh, Ils ont
3: tiré le dans. Avec des flashball. Non, pas en l'air. Pas en l'air. Sur nous. Ils they actually shot at us using des quoi? Des flashballs les ball? flashballs, ouais. Flashballs. bol um, They shot at us.
1: Et moi, je, je me souviens que c'est passé. Donc nous, on a protégé les, les jeunes. On les a. So mis of course,
3: les... we protected the young people.
1: Et voilà. Donc euh, et c'est une scène qui qui nous a profondément choqué.
3: And it was a situation that profoundly shocked us.
1: Plus, ils ont cassé nos and they
3: actually broke our lighting, our projectors.
1: And the next day, we actually... <laughs> police, alors?
3: Ouais. We went to the police station and we decided we were going to actually try to sue them or, or, or plea, you know, to make an official complaint. And of course, they wouldn't accept it.
1: So in fact,
3: going to the police to complain about the way the police was behaving was probably a bit...
1: Et donc euh, et voilà. Et je me, enfin, ra- il y a cette scène qui m'a vraiment marquée, c'est les enfants le lendemain qui jouaient dans, dans l'herbe et qui ont ramassé les les, les 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 balles quoi.
3: And what I remember in particular was that the next day the young kids were actually playing in the grass and they picked up these 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 bullets or these pellets that had been thrown at us mm-hmm. that had been that we that we been shot with.
1: Voilà donc euh, je j'avais pas envie de m'étaler sur sur euh, ce sujet parce qu'il y a assez de choses qui ont été dites et parfois des choses pas très justes.
3: I didn't want to go into that subject in too too much detail because I feel that a great number of things have been said about it, and sometimes some things have been said that were rather unjust.
1: Et la seule chose que je voulais exprimer, en fait, um, uh, ce, cette uh, non d'action, c'est-à-dire ne peut pas se défendre. The only thing I'd really
3: like to express is that we just felt it was impossible for us to act. We just were not able to defend ourselves. Et la seule chose qu'on a en fait c'est des porte-paroles, de porte-paroles, de porte-paroles. And the only way that we could achieve anything was just simply to try to spread the message.
1: Et je voulais pas faire partie de ces nombreux porte-paroles. Donc uh, But I didn't I didn't
3: want to be one of those people to be involved in those Chinese whispers or, or, or spreading the message in that way.
1: Parce que j'ai été bien sûr appelé par toute la presse, toute la presse française pour uh, savoir pourquoi ces jeunes se révoltaient.
3: Because of course the whole of the French press press was calling me to ask me why those young people were actually rebelling.
1: And as if
3: they themselves didn't speak French, so they couldn't ask them. So they were asking me to do my my work, she said, to to, to work as an interpreter.
0: Yeah, so um, you decided not to go into the detail of those riots, Um, and I remember you talking about the sense of disappointment you had in relation to them, that there seemed to be no vision, there was a sense of protest, but not a sense of direction. And it seems to me that at least in Du Rêve pour les Oufs, you give us some parameters, because you take it onto the much bigger subject matter of the double, peine, of the double penalty. And would you like to tell us a little bit about that? So this is, this is something that affects Foued, who is the younger brother who's starting to fall foul of the law. And because he wasn't born in France, He doesn't yet have a French passport, and this could lead to very serious problems. Euh,
1: En fait, on est dans un. Moi, j'ai choisi de de leur donner la nationalité algérienne par rapport à à l'histoire de l'Algérie et comment euh, on peut être. Je voulais que ce soit euh, deux enfants euh, de qui sont en France sous la contrainte. But in reality, the history of papy with Algeria is a particular status. So that's why fiction is great, because we do what we want.
3: Well, I chose to give the two children Algerian nationality because I wanted to talk about the, the history with regard to Alger, Algeria. Um, and I think that's what's wonderful about fiction, that really you can do whatever you like, because the situation as far as papers, documents
1: with Algeria is, is rather special. Euh, et, euh, et par rapport à cette histoire de double peine euh, ça, 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 ça s'est pratiqué tellement À un moment c'était vraiment euh, presque automatique donc euh, la, la, la double peine c'est donc une peine qu'on fait en france et la double peine c'est la deuxième peine en fait c'est le retour euh, au pays d'origine et quand je dis le retour au pays d'origine euh, parfois c'est le retour dans un pays inconnu c'est à dire... Euh, Il y a tellement de gens qui, qui sont euh, de parents étrangers, qui vivent en France depuis toujours, qui n'ont jamais mis les pieds dans leur pays d'origine, qui ne parlent pas la langue et tout. Donc euh, je vous laisse imaginer euh, le désastre psychologique que ça peut provoquer. Et, et donc voilà, donc, euh, j'avais envie que dans, que dans le parcours de, de Alem, qui est mon personnage principal, et de son petit frère, il y ait eu cette épée de Damoclès en fait, au-dessus de leur tête tout le temps. Euh, voilà. Well, often we talk about double
3: penalty. In other words, it's very painful for people from Algeria to be living in France. They feel that they're living there under a certain constraint. At the same time, for the younger generation, it's very difficult to go back to their country of origin. Because after all, they'll be going back to a country where they don't speak the language, they don't really know the people. Um, And so you can imagine how psychologically difficult and damaging that could be. And I particularly wanted to to, to present that whole situation with Alem and her little brother, Fued. It was as if they had a kind of sword of Damocles hanging over them the whole time.
0: So just to tie this up as a theme, this double
3: penalty, it's
0: a a technical thing that exists in France, um, which I think is actually in violation of of European law, but where if you commit a crime, if you're you're in infraction, um, you are imprisoned, for example, in France, and you will then be imprisoned again in your country of origin. And um, this causes all sorts of problems. And in the case of Fouad, it's someone who simply doesn't speak Arabic and who has no idea about Algeria. Um, So the, the overarching message that I took from that was essentially you think you think you got a tough time in the banlieue,
1: go try algeria est-ce que est paradoxal c'est ce que beaucoup de parents en fait font c'est-à-dire qu'ils envoient les jeunes euh, dans leur pays d'origine quand, euh, quand ils font des conneries à l'adolescence souvent
3: well in fact what's paradoxical is that often parents when the kids behave appallingly when they, when when they're younger when they're adolescents they just send them back to their country of origin
1: et euh, mais c'est pas pour les mêmes raisons je, je. Je suppose. Moi, je pense que la double peine, c'est plus euh, euh, une façon détournée de, de nettoyer, parce qu'on a une, un, une, une justification euh, tout à fait plausible qui est que c'est euh, des gens qui sont des criminels potentiels ou des... Voilà.
3: So I think this whole idea of the double pen in France is possibly its a deliberate distortion. So that if somebody has committed a crime, then it's just a way of getting rid of them. It's just a way of cleansing. That if they've behaved badly in France, then they have to go and serve their time in Algeria as well. And then you just get rid of them.
0: Maybe I'll just give you a tiny extract from, from um, when Fued and Ahlem and the boss go to Algeria. And so uh, Foued is in complete shock. I mean, he's got third-rate, appalling soap operas on the telly. Um, Zero nightlife, dreadful heat, weird women with tattoos everywhere. I mean, the whole thing has him freaked. Um, And here's a little bit from it, really about the myths that get spun both sides of the Mediterranean. The cousins, the one who live in France and only come back to the Bled for the holidays, don't talk about anything except their new country. It's like they're talking about this new girlfriend. Sometimes she holds out her arms to them, sometimes she kicks them away. They tell these stories, stories they've heard from guys who slip through the net, and they big them up so they don't have to admit to being broke or a failure. They never let on to their families that they're working on the black, washing up in rank Chinese restaurants and sleeping in tiny, grimy maids' rooms. They make it all sound rosy because they're ashamed, but they still reckon it's better than coming back for good. Cousin Youssef will never know what France is really like. He told me half the population here is under 25 and powerless, so they don't know what to do with their dreams. I'd like to tell them that over there, in France, it's not what they think, and they'll never get the truth through that distorting window people call television. They hack into, Fr- into French channels to watch the TF1 summer soaps, but they don't show reality. Young people round here say the satellite dishes on Iran's residential brocks are the city's ears, straining towards the north, ready to hear everything, but those ears are blocked. Shall we move on to humour? Shall we have a bit on...? OK move off the heavy political stuff Um, the thing that's so pleasurable for me working on Faiza is that I just chuckle through a lot of the working process and um, this is one of my favourite bits it's from uh, her aunt, Ahlem's aunt called Aunt Hanan who's uh, the sister of the dead mother and uh, who's writing Um, and we're going to flip between the French and the English uh, and you'll see what the letter is all about this morning, I got a letter from my aunt Hanan. Every time she writes to me, she never stops banging on about how I should come back to Algeria with my brother and the boss. And she always uses her favorite method, the guilt trip. Back home, it's one of the mainstays of our education.
1: Ta grand-mère est vieille et malade. Qu'attendez-vous Qu'elle parte sans vous dire au revoir Vous nous manquez énormément. Chaque fois que nous évoquons votre souvenir ici, c'est toute la maison qui pleure. Les larmes coulent même sur les murs. Your grandmother is old and sick. What are you
0: waiting for? That she leaves without saying goodbye to you? We miss you terribly. Each time we remember you here, the whole household weeps. There are even tears trickling down the walls.
2: Alors si Dieu veut, peut-être que cet été, le destin nous J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Gras nouveau. S'il te plaît, Alem, peux-tu nous envoyer un colis avec des médicaments pour ta grand-mère? Les boîtes bleues comme la dernière fois. So if God wills it, perhaps this summer destiny will reunite us. Please, Achleme, can
0: you send us a parcel with some medicines for your grandmother? The blue boxes, like last time, because you know all that kind of thing is too expensive here. May God grant you compassion, dear Achlem, and you will be rewarded, inshallah. Your cousin Saraya asks us if you could think to put two or three bras in that Playtex brand, the lacy cross my Hearts, please. May God keep you. You know she's getting married soon. Our kabil cousins Sabrina and Razika, the ones who work at the hairdressers in Ain Temouchi, say hello. Hello to you, they'd like you to check out the prices of Turbo hair dryers. They promise to reimburse you as soon as they can. As for Naima, who celebrated her 17th birthday last season, she'd like something from you she calls thongs. I don't know what this means, but she said that you would definitely know. And to finish off, there's just one other thing that I'd like you to send me from France. It's that cream against old age that I asked you for. I think the make is diadermine.
1: Que Dieu vous préserve et vous guide, qu'il vous comble de tous ses bienfaits et qu'il amène la baraka dans votre maison. Prends bien soin de ton petit frère et de ton pauvre père. I wonder if this letter
0: was actually meant for me or whether she should have sent it directly to Father Christmas.
1: Um,
0: Humour is a massive factor in your work. Um, How much is that a necessity? How much is that you riding between quite tough political reality and you having to have humour almost as a bomb to be diffused to let off that tension?
1: Je crois que c'est euh, c'est même pas quelque chose que je réfléchis à l'avance. C'est quelque chose de presque intuitif selon les situations, selon le moment. Euh, donc il y a deux choses en fait. La première c'est que j'imagine que euh, j'ai été conditionnée pour ça parce que dans mon éducation euh, bon en Algérie, euh, j'étais en train de raconter des blagues à table hier mais qui tombaient à plat quand je les racontais en français parce qu'elles sont drôles qu'en arabe donc... Euh... <coughs> Uh, I
3: I believe that it's not a question I think about in in advance it's something that's intuitive it just depends on the situation or on the moment and I was conditioned really to having humor in fact yesterday I was telling some uh, jokes at the table but I was telling them in French and they sounded awful because nobody could understand them because I I know them in Arabic and they sound much better in Arabic
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I think that all tous les peuples ou tous les pays qui ont connu voilà, des, des choses difficiles, des guerres civiles, des, des massacres, etc. Il y a quand même ce truc de joie de vivre et d'humour, parfois de cynisme, d'humour noir, mais qui sauve. Et que même quand on a l'image des jeunes de banlieue qu'on imagine en train de dealer dans la cage d'escalier, mais en fait, moi, ça c'est toute ma jeunesse, rester dans la cage d'escalier une heure ou deux avec les copains et tout, et rigoler, ils passent leur temps à se vanner, en fait, c'est, c'est marrant. And the second thing is that when I write, in fact, to write, it takes a time, it's long and si on so if we don't get angry, I'm my public. I laugh So it's super important. Voilà. Well,
3: I think that all peoples who've encountered uh, civil wars, who've had very hard histories where they've been massacred, uh, they develop a certain kind of black humor. They have to develop a certain kind of joie de vivre. I mean, when I was young and you were living in the stairwell, you were living on the stairs, you were chatting to your friends for one or two hours. It was fun. You enjoyed yourself. And writing, I, when I'm writing, it's something that takes a lot of time and it's something that re- 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 requires quite a lot of concentration. But I have, to, I have to make myself laugh when I'm writing. I've got, I've got to introduce humor for my, for, my, for my own sanity in a way.
0: But humour as well is something that becomes a passport for your books because it enables you to build those bridges. Um, So what's amazing about your use of slang, and we'll talk more about language and inventiveness in a bit, is but it's the dosage. It's the fact that you're not giving a photocopy of how people talk. You're giving spices, you're giving the hints, the little bits of ingredients, but you're not literally giving us an example of how people talk in the banlieue in foulon Verlon similarly slang, c'est so people, people
1: Hong Kong laugh at your books. C'est, c'est toujours étonnant. Et à la fois, euh, ça marche quand il euh, y a une super bonne traduction, comme celle de Sarah. Parce que je me souviens avoir entendu en 2006 euh, la lecture de Cléo. Mm. Et c'était, c'était vraiment merveilleux parce que j'ai eu le sentiment d'écouter un autre personnage parler. Mais je reconnaissais mon personnage, bien sûr, parce que c'était très fidèle. Et à la fois. <coughs> Y a une dimension supplémentaire qui fait que on, on sent que ça marche ça function
3: well it's always very surprising to me how how I can succeed in other languages but it's only thanks to Sarah deoni's excellent translation that 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 I can get those kind of messages across and I remember in 2006 when I was listening to a reading of Clio I suddenly saw a whole other side as well I just and that was again, because the translation had been so well done. Um, To reference
0: Cleo here, Cleo can't be here today. Cleo Serzandri is also the same age as Faiza. And she grew up in the suburbs of Paris until she was 11, 12. And then she moved to Stockwell, Brixton. So not only is Cleo utterly bilingual, very handily for me, she's utterly bilingual in street slang. And I've been doing some work with a young people's magazine in Brixton called Live Magazine that is by, for, produced by 12 to 21-year-olds. So it's a sort of peer-on-peer publication. And she'd been an editor of that at one stage, and that was how I encountered her when I was researching slang. And that's a relationship, a sort of triangle between us. So... um, when when I'm needing to think, how on earth am I gonna make this slang word work and how am I gonna have something that will hold on in and endure? Because obviously the problem with slang is that it's obsolete, it's got a very short sell-by date. Um, Cleo was my woman. Um, She will be coming to the French Institute on Tuesday, but she couldn't make it today. But to give you a little example of Cleo, so back in 2005 um, when I was working on Just Like Tomorrow, Clear was always saying oh my days oh my days about everything uh, and you can understand that that essentially means oh my goodness at a very simple level um and it seemed to work very well, well. it sat with this character of Doria, there were a lot of exclamations and it worked very well with that humour, that constant kind of quizzical exclamation mark going down in response to things, Um, and I used this, and it's it's something that was just coming out when Cleo gave it to me and it's now just everywhere, on all buses all the time, Um, but we did have one reviewer in the Independent on Sunday who um, sort of said, what on earth is that with? Uh, (laughs) Enid Blyton? Um, And he was right, that's that's Actually, what I'm sort of looking for I'm looking for stuff that's got recycled and very often the stuff from the 50s and the 60s and from that period of writing both in Britain and that influence on Jamaican patois English and back again and if it's recycled it's great for me because you understand the original meaning um, it'll hold on through and if you're feeling hip and you're knowing what everyone says on the top of the number two bus you get the current sense of it as well so that's Cleo. Hmm. Let's go back now to um, this idea of ghettoization, slightly, and the fact that you've talked to me a few times, that despite this extraordinary success, you're 24, you have three novels, you have a raft of films, uh, you've done more than most of us will do in a lifetime, um, and you still feel insecure Mm. at some level. You still feel like it might just go, or like you haven't quite arrived. And some of that is to be is about being cold-shouldered by the French intellectual establishment.
1: Yeah, bon, il y a le sentiment général de, de manque d'assurance parce que euh, moi je crois que c'est beaucoup conditionné par le milieu social d'abord, par le fait qu'autour de toi il y a personne qui tu n'as pas beaucoup d'exemples de réussite comme on... comme mon comme on l'entend aujourd'hui, parce qu'il y a la réussite matérielle, la réussite de la vie, réussite dans la famille. Il y a plein de réussites différentes. Peut-être qu'on n'a pas la même idée de la réussite que beaucoup d'auteurs contemporains. Mais euh, donc, il y a a ce ce fait-là qui est important. C'est-à-dire que, euh, je vais dire brièvement, Je te laisse d'abord te dire, là je m'emballe en fait. T'en <laughs> fais pas, t'en fais pas. Well, there's a, I do have a
3: general feeling of lack of assurance and maybe that's because of my social milieu, my social background. I mean, there are examples of... That, there are not that many examples of success within my environment.
1: <coughs> <coughs> Mais j'ai quand même l'impression que... Euh, que... il y a, y a toujours quelque chose qui, qui me dit euh, tu tu arriveras pas en fait. C'est... Et j'ai toujours
3: l'impression qu'il y a quelque chose qui dit que tu ne vas pas le faire.
1: Même euh, quand euh, j'ai publié mon premier roman, bon l'histoire je l'ai raconté un million de fois mais... J'ai pas été j'ai, c'est un professeur qui a remarqué mon texte, il faisait 30 pages, j'avais écrit comme ça pour déconner sur des feuilles de, 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 de carnet d'école en fait. And even
3: when I wrote my first novel, I had just written it on a school uh, exercise book over 30 pages and I was just writing I just wrote those 30 pages just to mess around and it was this teacher that noticed this text.
1: Et c'est lui qui l'a envoyé chez l'éditrice et donc l'histoire elle a commencé comme ça. Et aujourd'hui 5 ans après, je je peux mettre ma main à couper que j'aurais jamais fait cette démarche moi-même j'aurais même même pas eu l'idée de la faire en fait.
3: and i can say now five years later i can really uh, cause my hand uh, hold my hand on my, my heart i can say that i would never have done that myself i would not have i would never have sent it to an editor or to a publisher
1: parce que voilà la littérature en plus c'est particulier c'est un milieu qui un peu incestueux louche qui se reproduit entre entre enfin
3: en, voilà, ça c'est because the world of literature is slightly dicey slightly loose and they reproduce themselves amongst themselves
1: Et, uh, C'est un peu dégueulasse quoi c'est,
3: c'est really.
1: <laughs> donc euh, c'est vrai que si on' n'a pas de corrélation on n'a pas de lien avec euh, ce milieu là qu'on n'a pas un ami d'amis ou des parents qui connaissent quelqu'un qui
3: On a autant de
1: chance d'être publié qu'une baleine de faire un défilé de mode quoi donc
3: euh, voilà donc il euh, ya
1: y a, y a ça qui, qui joue
3: beaucoup.
1: Euh, L'attitude aussi, on parlait de cette attitude justement de nos parents qui ont toujours été... euh, euh, Le mot d'ordre c'est être discret, pas se faire remarquer, être tranquille, donc... euh, Être et parler des gens comme ça et, et parler de moi, c'est quelque chose de, qui est pas évident en fait.
3: And we were also saying that, uh, you know, my, our parents said you always had to be very discreet, you had to be very quiet, you just had to sort of keep a low profile. And so for me to be talking in front of all of you is not particularly obvious at all. It's not something that comes naturally. Même si je le fais très bien. Even just... if I did it really well.
0: <laughs> um, When we made this Al Jazeera clip that unfortunately we can't show today, you also had this phrase about uh, France as this Republican mother who doesn't treat all her children the same. And you talked about some of those children being the bastard children of the Republic. And you also, in a festival here a year ago, talked about the banlieue as in some form being the new colonies. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and the relationship between that and how you have potentially been treated as a writer, whether there's a crossover between those two things?
1: I realize that from one
3: year to another and from one meeting to another, when we meet together, I become more and more pessimistic, and it does depress me.
1: Parce que euh, euh, je, je, je suis toujours persuadée de ça. En fait, je pense que il euh, y a eu une trahison. Euh, que l'idée du contrat républicain, c'est égalité, fraternité, euh, liberté, euh, et qu'en fait, euh, il a été rompu le contrat républicain, et que on s'est mis d'accord sur un truc qui, qui théoriquement c'est beau hein, sur les pièces de monnaie. Moi, j'adore, je suis fan. Mais franchement, dans la réalité. Dans la pratique, ça ne se passe pas comme ça. Et donc, j'ai vraiment ce sentiment de la nation, en fait, qui se veut tellement euh, une et indivisible qu'elle euh, ferme les yeux sur des problèmes euh, qui prennent de plus en plus de place.
3: Well, I'm really concerned. I feel that we've been betrayed. You know, one talks about uh, equality, fraternity and liberty and then the Republican contract. But I feel that the contract has been broken. It's all fine and good to have those things written on coins. And uh, I like that mais je sens que c'est un pays qui sent que ce n'est pas dividi et que ce n'est pas préparé pour reconnaître que ce sont ces divisions.
1: Um, et en fait, je, je, vraiment, je ne veux pas être trop radic- paraître trop radicale, mais c'est vrai que j'ai vraiment le sentiment qu'on, qu'il y a un problème en fait, sur lequel on n'a pas mis le doigt et qu'en et que, en fait, on parle d'immigration, de banlieue, de Et en fait, c'est pour pas parler d'islam euh, indirectement, parce que euh, parce qu'on nous dit tout le temps euh, les sociologues et les gens, qui, les historiens qui travaillent sur cette question, quand on regarde les débats à la télévision, euh, ils posent, ils, ils formulent ça, ils disent euh, mais pourquoi l'immigration portugaise et italienne dans les années 60, euh, elle a mieux fonctionné, parce que c'est une immigration euh, majoritairement catholique et que ça marche, ça rentre mieux dans. J'ai l'impression en fait que c'est cette espèce de Les jeux pour les enfants où on essaie de mettre les ronds dans les carrés, les carrés dans les triangles et ça rentre pas. Et donc voilà. Et donc euh, je trouve qu'il y a une hypocrisie euh, autour de tout ça et que c'est, c'est de ça que je parlais quand je disais tout à l'heure qu'il faut accepter qu'il y ait des choses qui soient incompatibles.
3: But I feel that the problem up until now hasn't really been pinpointed sufficiently. Because often you hear sociologists talk about immigration, talk about the suburbs of value. But basically, they're talking about those things to, so as not to talk about Islam itself. And they often say, well, how come in the 60s when the Italians or the Portuguese immigrated um, to France, th- th- we didn't have these kind of problems? Well, that was essentially because they were all Catholic. And so there there wasn't that obviously religious, extra religious aspect to it. And I feel that if you talk about children's games, you know, where you've got to put the squares into the triangle, where, where you're supposed to put the triangles in the triangle shape and so on, I feel that here, we're not because we're not fitting properly into the shapes that's why it's co- that's why it's causing a major problem but it's something that that they don't want to recognize
1: je crois que ça attention je à muslim,
3: muslim means that it's impossible to, meet, to, to live in France that's not the case at all but it's simply a question of the perception
1: C'est-à-dire de la manière dont l'islam est vu en France. Or the way
3: that Islam is actually perceived in France.
1: Et donc, il y a vraiment ce, cette idée, comme je disais à Sarah, que, euh, on nous fait des promesses depuis l'enfance, parce qu'elle y a la grande idée de la laïcité, de la République euh, et de l'égalité entre tous. Et qu'en fait, euh, dans, quand on, on commence à, à, à grandir et à, à sortir, à rencontrer le monde du travail, euh, Eh ben, on s'aperçoit il ouais, ce, un sentiment de trahison que because
3: after all there's this feeling that everybody's equal and that everybody's going to be treated in the same way and it's a secular society and you've made all these promises when you're a child and then when you grow up, you suddenly come out into society and you realize that in fact that's not the case at all and you do feel betrayed.:
1: Je donne je vais donner un exemple un peu marrant que l'atphère I'll
3: give you a funny example because I feel the atmosphere is absolutely going down in the. <laughs>
1: Quand, euh, j'ai, quand j'ai écrit mon premier roman et que j'ai été amenée en fait à rencontrer les lecteurs et tout, j'étais en province, dans plusieurs villes de France et tout.
3: Quand to <coughs> uh, uh, France. En fait, c'est les
1: réactions des gens qui venaient faire dédicacer leurs livres. Je me suis dit qu'absolument, faut qu'un jour je note tout et que je publie un livre sur ça. What <laughs> was euh...
3: amazing was how people responded when for example I had to sign their books, just the kinds of things they said and I thought to myself it was so extraordinary what they said that I, one day I'd have to write a whole book about the
1: book signings. Parce que je trouve que c'est un extraordinaire révélateur de de la société française d'aujourd'hui et comment on
3: because it was really, revel- it was a revelation to see how French society saw us today, how French society perceives us, how French society looks at us.
1: And When
3: I talked earlier on, I talked about bienveillance louche, which means a kind of like a dicey supervision where sort of being supervised in a kind of dodgy louche, way. dodgy way, yes.
1: Uh, et de, pater, de paternalisme.
3: And there was also this attitude of pater, this paternal, paternal, paternalistic attitude. C'est dans
1: ces conditions là que j'ai compris ça en fait. C'est à dire que je le livre de quelqu'un.
3: So for example, I was just signing somebody's book, I was dedicating it.
1: Donc c'est quoi votre prénom?
3: Normally I say to people, well, what's your first name?
1: Donc euh, je sais pas Michel par exemple.
3: So, say, donc, Michel. Je commence
1: pour Michel et Michel me demande euh, si je peux faire la dédicace en arabe mais.
3: J'ai... Then Michel suddenly said to me, "Well, can you write this in Arabic?" Mais j'écris
1: pas arabe, j'écris
3: français.
1: C'est pas logique en fait. Pas.
3: Not logical for me.
1: Uh, ou bien le même Michel il me dit pendant ce moment là qui dure deux minutes parce and, qu'il y a la queue il y a des and and the attend. same
3: Michel, in fact tells me, and this is over a period of two minutes because a long queue, so Et donc
1: en deux minutes il attend de me dire qu'il adore le couscous que sa nounou elle est algérienne. Il dit
3: qu'il aime couscous and Rai and qu'il uh, ça.
1: Et je me demande toujours pourquoi il me dit ça à Michel en fait. Et I thought to myself, Why on earth is Michel me all these things. Michel on parle de mon livre.
3: my book we're not talking about what your grandmother likes and all that stuff.
1: <laughs> Et en fait ça me fait vraiment penser uh, à ces films avec uh, les Indiens et les cowboys and it
3: me films cowboys and Avec
1: le mois venir en paix. Je sais pas comment traduire ça en, 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 en anglais Avec le quoi? Moi venir en paix, moi être ton ami. Tu sais ah t'as right. T'as when t'as when t'as they come, they, they, they I, I come, come in, in peace place.
3: and they talk pigeon English and they say I come in peace. <laughs> me come in, me come oh, in peace. Uh, yes. <laughs> <ça>. <laughs> 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 voilà.
1: <laughs> Alors Michel te rappelle. C'était lui qui te disait ça. C'est ça. Michel et plein d'autres Michel. So Michel
3: and lots of other Michel's were saying the same kind of things, me come in peace
1: last question
0: and we'll throw it open to the floor. So I'm going to pick up on this image that you had of the children's game and the triangles and the squares and the rounds and the things that don't fit. And I'm going to put it to you that um, perhaps the French establishment was beginning to find a way that you were a triangle in a triangle. Um, you were the writer who writes about the banlieu. You were the writer who discusses immigrant issues and you're allowed not just to do Algerian, you're allowed to spread your wings a bit and do East European and West African. And then you go and write Les gens du Balto, which is Faizer's third book, which uh, is set in a bar. So you could call it Balto Bar, perhaps. We don't know. I haven't translated it yet. Um, and that deals with a huge range of people. And it's not just talking about immigration at all. In fact, it's a whodunit. So what, do they, what are they going to do? How, how have they handled this triangle that they just thought they'd made fit in that? position
1: and now you've gone to tell them you're a hexagon. formidable <coughs> 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 Well
3: that's really funny because there kind of two currents because there are some people who haven't understood that I'm not talking about the banlieue anymore. So they say fab book all about the banlieue
1: il <laughs> y a ceux qui, qui, qui sont un peu déstabilisés parce que je parle plus de la banlieue and there are some people that really feel quite uncomfortable and slightly
3: destabilized because I'm no longer talking about the banlieue
1: et ben voilà il y a moi entre les deux and <laughs> then there's me between the two uh, là c'est vraiment uh, parce que moi depuis le départ donc j'ai, j'ai toujours essayé de défendre le fait que j'écris pas ni sur la banlieue ni sur l'immigration j'écris sur uh, sur les gens ordinaires well, from
3: from the beginning, what I've been trying to say is, and I'm not writing about the volume, I'm not writing about immigration, I'm just writing about the lives of everyday people, ordinary people.
1: Je fais pas partie des auteurs en plus qui euh, en fait qui sont guidés par l'intrigue quand ils, ils écrivent un roman.
3: And I'm not an author who is actually guided by intrigue when I'm writing a novel. Mais, mais c'est vraiment les personnages moi que j'aime. What am interested in the characters, the personalities.
1: Donc. Euh... Donc dans tous mes livres, enfin euh, le premier livre c'était vraiment, disons que c'était l'adolescence le sujet principal. My
3: book, course, the, the main was
1: Là pour moi le, du rêve pour les oufs le sujet c'est la précarité. And
3: the really of Et
1: pas seulement la précarité euh, en termes économiques. Not
3: only from an point of view. La
1: précarité dans, dans l'amour
3: aussi.
1: Comme, et, et je pense qu'il y a un million de filles de 24 ans qui connaissent ces, ces histoires d'amour euh, instables et,
3: of, of stories, uns, in et
1: que voilà raconter euh, raconter ça c'est pas forcément enfin euh, il y a aucun je, je peux raconter ça indépendamment de, de l'histoire de l'immigration
3: et de
1: Et c'est juste que ça c'est des choses enfin ces thèmes là euh, ces thèmes la banlieue l'immigration le chômage euh, l'histoire de l'identité c'est des questions qui me préoccupent beaucoup parce que voilà ça fait partie de, de aussi de mon environnement but of course,
3: questions relating to the banlieue, mais
1: j'imagine pas demain écrire un roman euh, qui est dénué de toute dimension sociale parce que pour moi ce serait totalement inutile
3: but I don't feel that tomorrow I'm going to write a novel without any kind of social dimension because, as far as I'm concerned, that would be totally useless.
1: Mais ça peut être autant l'histoire d'une d'une jeune banlieue que l'histoire d'un d'un agriculteur ans dans zone rurale.
3: But I could write about a young woman in banlieue just as I could write about a seventy-year-old farmer living in a
1: rural area.
3: What's really important is the way that you tell the stories. So
0: we'll, we'll wrap here and go over to you, and I'll leave you with um, this tiny little line, because Achlem in the story also tries to become a writer, and she goes to this cafe and spends a lot of time scribbling, and she gets quizzed by the waitress, who sort of says, what is it you're writing? What, what kind of stuff is it you're writing? Josiane. Mm. And, uh, and Josiane says to Achlem, so if they're not love stories or thrillers, then what are they? And Achlem says, more like social stories, I guess stories about people who are up against it because society hasn't given them a choice but they try to come out the other side and taste happiness anyway.
3: When you go back to your milieu, what do they say to you and do they want to help you get out of it?
1: Ben, c'est... c'est délicat parce que, sorry, à la fois... Sorry, they
3: want you to help them to get out of it.
1: Ben, uh, je, je suis pas un, Je suis ni prophète ni... Euh, donc c'est difficile. Je vois même si ils me le demandaient, je vois pas comment je pourrais les aider.
3: Well, you, I'm not a prophet, and I think even if they asked me to help them, I don't see how I could help them.
1: Et en fait, il y a plein de gens dont je fais, je faisais partie, qui n'ont pas besoin de s'en sortir forcément parce que pour s'en sortir, il faudrait déjà que ils sortent de quelque chose de critique. Et il y a des gens qui vivent super bien.
3: And to get out of it, I mean, there are lots of people that I know who have got nothing to
1: get out of because, in fact, they're coping perfectly well. Et en fait, comme on disait tout à l'heure, c'est une question de d'argent souvent.
3: And ultimately, it's often a question of money.
1: Mais euh, mais c'est pas. Je, je, je travaille aussi en direction de. Je voudrais qu'on, qu'on s'écarte des préjugés au sujet de de la vie des
3: gens. Et
1: je me souviens que j'avais dit à Sarah quand on s'est rencontrés la première fois
3: que il y avait en fait
1: euh, c'était un western quand on parlait de la banlieue c'était les, les gentils et les méchants et qu'en fait entre les deux on a l'impression qu'il y avait rien soit les génies euh, Les, 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 les génies qui, qui réussissaient et qui avaient un succès comme ça fulgurant type Zidane euh, et il y avait de l'autre côté euh, les gens qui allaient en prison qui brûlaient les voitures et que comme si en fait c'était... Mmh.
3: And, and I said to Sarah when we met the first time that people saw uh, this society of value almost like movies like westerns that there were the good people and the evil people. there were geniuses such as Zidane and then there were the others that were actually burning down cars and, and there was this kind of black and white image of the, of the, of the suburb
1: et, et quand, euh, En fait moi j'ai, j'ai déménagé, j'habite toujours dans la même ville mais dans un quartier différent.
3: And I lived in the same town but in a different area.
1: Ça s'appelle l'ascenseur social maintenant.
3: social, Non.
1: En plus, c'est pas vrai. C'est juste que je,
3: je suis partie de chez mes parents. It's not true actually. I just left my parents.
1: Parce qu'il y a un prince qui est venu me chercher sur un cheval because blanc. Parce qu'un prince
3: et came euh... to, to fetch me on a white stallion.
0: Et et literally, literally, we saw the white stallion four weeks ago actually.
1: Et euh, donc <coughs> voilà. Donc c'est pour ça que je suis partie. Mais enfin, si je, si c'est pas et une chose de la vie, j'aurais pas eu envie de partir. Et donc je pense qu'il y a plein de gens dans mon cas. Et, euh, Et d'ailleurs, euh, y a, je suscite pas trop de jalousie, pas tellement de, d'envie, parce que si j'avais fait de la musique ou du cinéma, ça serait peut-être différent, parce que ça paraît accessible. Mais écrire un bouquin, tout le monde me dit, « Mais comment t'as fait, c'est chiant, j'ai lire un livre, moi j'y arrive pas. » <rire>
3: And I I think that, I mean, if I hadn't been rescued, not rescued, if I hadn't been fetched by this prince on the stallion, I don't think I would have necessarily moved out. Um, And actually, people are not particularly jealous of me, because if I'd been doing music or cinema, those things seem to be more accessible, because everybody does those. But as far as writing a book is concerned, people say to me, how on earth were you able to write a book? So they just can't even see themselves doing that. We don't... um not everybody is there like Sarah to translate fantastic books, so there's probably a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of French literature which doesn't get here to us in english and Just going back to what you were saying about whether you felt you were part of French literary society or not, I wondered if you could tell us whether the kind of work you're doing
0: um, There are lots of other people writing in the kind of way you do in France
3: or about the things you do or or whether you're still pretty unique because I'm afraid I don't know. C'est évident, crois que tu es la ça Bien sûr. La seule. <laughs> tu, tu, réponds, ouais, tu veux répondre
1: Oui, tu veux. Mais je vais répondre après pour de vrai. Hein. Ah ouais, cool. d'accord.
3: C'est pas sérieux. First of all, the sarcastic responses, it's quite obvious. Um, in <laughs> other words, she's the only one who writes that. <laughs> <laughs> but she's actually going <laughs> to answer seriously
1: now. Huh? <laughs> non, pas du tout. Il y, y, y a quelques auteurs qui sont un petit peu dans ce créneau, uh, c'est-à-dire une écriture qui vi- populaire, en fait. There are,
3: there are a few authors who are in the same kind of niche in other words, they are popular authors.
1: Mais je pense que c'est nécessaire parce qu'on a vraiment en fait le problème de la littérature d'aujourd'hui, c'est pas une question de d'origine ethnique. Moi j'insiste là-dessus, c'est vraiment que souvent les changements culturels, ils viennent d'en bas. Et voilà, donc on manque de ça, mais il y en a quelques-uns heureusement aujourd'hui.
3: There are fortunately some people who are writing the same way as, as I'm writing, but I think as far as literature is concerned, there's often not enough literature coming from below as it were. Et that's what's lacking.
1: Et La seule chose que je regrette, par contre, c'est qu'on a découvert quelques auteurs. Euh, euh, moi, je sais que le premier, pour moi, euh, qui a été publié, si je dis pas de bêtises, en 2003, c'est un garçon qui s'appelle Rachid Jaidani et qui a écrit un livre qui s'appelle Boomker, qui a été vraiment une révélation euh, pour le public. Ensuite, il y a eu mon livre en 2004. Et après, en 2005, il y a eu des émeutes. Et grâce aux émeutes, on a eu plein de, de romanciers qui... Tout le monde voulait son Rachid Jaidani ou Safaï Zaghen, en fait, chaque maison d'édition. Voilà.
3: Well, in, in 2003, there was Rashid Jadani, whose book I, I really enjoyed a lot. And then in 2004, there was my book. And then after the uprising, as it were, or the, the, the riots, rather, um, all publishing houses wanted to have their own uh, Faiza or their own Rashida. Uh, that was, it had become popular, that kind of writing.
1: Hmm.
3: I actually translated a bit of Rashid Jadani
0: for the New Statesman. A year ago, they had a whole section on France and new writers coming out of there, and and he was one of them. Visceral was the book, it
1: was a later book by him.
3: But just because it exists, it doesn't mean to say that it's actually considered as being great literature, but that's a whole other ball of wax. (laughs) Kettle of fish, I meant to say, sorry.
1: C'est un peu la même question, mais
0: j'ai lu que vous avez plus réussi à l'étranger qu'en France. Est-ce que c'est vrai ou ou non?
1: Franchement, si j'avais réussi dans 27 pays, je serais milliardaire alors qu'il est.
3: Non,
1: non, j'ai. En termes de vente. En fait, ça a été ça a été super, on a vendu en un mois 100 000 exemplaires, c'était vraiment du jamais as
3: as vu. Moi j'y croyais pas. C'est kiff kif, kif, l- kif demain ouais. Kiff kiff demain, en France Ouais, yeah, en France. France,
1: Raconte
0: l'histoire au début quand euh, on, toi tu imaginais ça en tant que ouais. classe oui. à l'école, c'est marrant. L'éditrice
1: quand on a signé le contrat, moi j'avais 17 ans.
3: When we signed the contract I was 17 years old. À l'époque the j'étais an, animatrice,
1: je faisais des petits boulots pourris et tout.
3: The I, at that time I was doing sort of little rotten jobs, I mean just ghastly things. Je suis
1: le caca des enfants, pas
3: <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was wiping the children's <laughs> bottoms.
1: Et euh, donc euh, je signe ce contrat avec la maison d'édition, elle me convoque dans son bureau comme j'avais 17 ans, elle craignait que je ne m'emballe euh, un peu trop. And
3: so I signed up and uh, the, the, the editor called me into her office and she was worried that I would be slightly awestruck.
1: Mais pour moi, publier un roman, d'abord, pour moi, les écrivains, c'était des vieux uh, chiants qui parlent à la télé avec des barbes blanches et des pipes. Well, <laughs> for me,
3: uh, writers, the impression I had of writers were just generally old men who appeared on television who had white hair and who had beards and who generally were smoking pipes and they were absolutely boring. Ou morts en fait. Or dead <laughs> <laughs> Donc,
1: euh, donc euh, moi, j'avais déjà du mal à imaginer ce que ça voulait dire publier un, un roman. Donc, euh, et so elle, I, m'a, elle m'a, m'a convoquée no. donc dans son bureau.
3: So I find it very difficult to actually envisage what it meant to actually publish a novel. So she, she called me to her office.
1: Elle m'a dit, écoute Faiza, euh, elle parle un peu comme ça, écoute Faiza, t'emballe pas trop, hein, parce que euh, <laughs> c'est un premier roman, t'es pas connue, t'as que 17 ans.
3: Donc elle m'a demandé à son office et elle m'a dit, regarde Faiza, vous savez, juste ne vous gardez pas sur ça. Vous êtes en train de vous faire. Exactement. C'est juste votre premier novel et c'est un peu comme elle parle.
1: Et donc euh, ils ont décidé de sortir le livre. Elle me dit, on a eu un coup de cœur pour ton bouquin, c'est vrai, mais c'est pas dit que ça marche très bien. Elle
3: a dit, c'est vrai que nous sommes en love avec ton livre, mais ce n'est pas dire que ça va faire très bien.
1: Elle me dit tu sais si on en vend 500 ou 1000 ce sera déjà pas mal pour un premier roman and if
3: we give you 500, or sa- 500 ou 1000 euros c'est ça 500, 500 ou 1000 000. c'est ça oh, si on en vend 500 d'accord 500 1000 that'll be that
1: won't be bad et quand elle m'a dit 500 ou 1000 pour moi c'était énorme And I thought that was
3: enormous the idea of or copies j'imaginais
1: une classe une salle de classe and I was just thinking
3: about a classroom
1: de mes récents souvenirs d'école
3: for my recent memories of school
1: avec euh, on de me dire on était 25 dans la classe donc 25 fois et
3: c- for so me it was extraordinary c'était énorme amazing fantastic
1: et je me souviens d'un autre jour que ça c'était ça plus rien à voir on avait vendu 80 000 exemplaires à l'époque and I remember on
3: another day we had sold in fact 80000 copies
1: Et euh, j'étais allé voir un match de foot euh, au stade de France à l'époque avec euh, mon petit ami de l'époque qui m'a jeté pas longtemps après mais ça, I went cool. a at the time,
3: encore but une autre. Encore une, un autre sujet. Another, another story. Et,
1: et donc, dans le Stade de France, il y a 80 000 places,
3: et il y avait 80 000 spectateurs.
1: Et donc, là, d'un coup, je regarde et je me dis, c'est comme si tout le Stade de France avait lu mon bouquin.
3: gosh, de France Voilà, c'était des petits
1: moyens pour moi de réaliser ce qui se
3: passait. Donc, c'était des moyens pour essayer passé,
0: so, perhaps what you'd read was more about. Yeah, uh, critique. Pardon. Yeah, more about crit- uh, literary recognition yeah. and prizes. And yeah. um, I mean, certainly in this country, it feels as if Faiz has been fantastically welcomed. She's mm. been shortlisted and won a fair amount of stuff and seems to have been very embraced by what you might call the establishment. And I think that's been yeah, a different experience I think in I think France. That's uh-huh. it, it was a sort of I mean, it's
1: the same En fait, peut-être pour répondre à votre question, c'est-à-dire que la réussite dans les... Enfin, j'ai eu beaucoup de presse. Pour vous expliquer, en fait, ce que j'essaie d'expliquer par rapport à... à... La littérature en France, c'est un, un, un milieu, c'est, c'est super élitiste. Encore une fois, je le vraiment, j'insiste, c'est vrai. Et en fait, j'ai... on a beaucoup parlé de moi dans la presse, mais dans les pages société. Et c'est là toute la différence. Pas dans les pages culture. Donc, j'étais un phénomène de société jusqu'à... Je le suis un peu moins maintenant, mais... C'était en fait l'arabe qui sait lire et écrire, c'était presque ça. Quand on a découvert que. Voilà. Et donc. (rire) Voilà, c'est, mais il y a vraiment de ça, donc.
3: Euh, well, to answer your question, there was a lot of press about me in France. Um But uh, what I really must underline is, literary society or literature in France is extremely elitist. And so when I was talked about in in papers or in magazines, I appeared on the society page, not on the cut in the culture section. And I was regarded as a kind of social phenomenon, the the rapper who can read and write, the girl who can read and write. You know, that's the way I was envisaged, and c'est, to a certain c'est, extent, it's still the case.
1: C'était vraiment plus du du. du de l'ordre de la découverte, comme quand on a trouvé euh, Lucie. It's
3: just like when Lucy. Was, uh,
1: tu sais, Lucy, la, la femme préhistorique, quand yeah. on a. La préhistorique femme. Ouais, il y avait vraiment un truc de l'ordre du singe savant, c'est-à-dire vraiment. The uh, sort of
3: uh, man- monkey, the wise monkey. Ouais.
1: Il manquait plus que le jonglage. I just le... had to learn how
3: to juggle. That's all. <laughs> Things are okay now, actually. Things have improved.
1: And,
3: and then that's why I can t- I can tell these stories. Voilà.
1: No, I, I was particularly interested in what was the reaction of people, maybe young people, in a banlieu. I mean it was very popular outside of Paris, but did anyone come up to you and say, This is great, this is you've represented our lives? Um, y Il avait, y avait cette réaction euh, parfois aussi. Il um, y a des enfants, des favelas au Brésil, euh, d'une, d'une favela de Rio qui s'appelle Mare, à qui on a offert mon livre et qui m'ont dit la même chose.
3: Mare, and they said the same thing to me.
1: Donc je pense que c'est n'est vraiment pas une histoire de banlieue, c'est so plus I une think histoire d'adolescence.
3: Je pense que ce n'est pas nécessairement à faire seulement avec la banlieue, je pense que c'est à faire avec l'adolescence. C'est une histoire d'adolescence.
1: Moi, ce que je retiens, ce qui était génial, c'est que y a des, c'est, c'est plus euh, du côté des gens, des jeunes adultes souvent qui ont, qu'on a éloigné de la lecture, dégoûté de l'école et de la littérature et qui ont lu euh, pour la première fois un livre. Et il faut que je raconte absolument ce mec de 15 ans que j'ai rencontré dans la rue et qui m'a dit « Je te reconnais, toi, tu m'as dépucelé, j'avais jamais lu de livre de ma vie <rire> !» Well, and what I was particularly struck by
3: was that it was a question of young adults, often young adults, who'd never read a single book in their life. And I must tell you this story. I bumped into a young boy in the street, a 15-year-old boy. And he said to me, you took my virginity away. I mean, I was a virgin until I read your book. I hadn't read books before. And yours was the first book I'd
1: ever read. <laughs> and I thought it was an amazing way of
3: describing my, his experience of reading my book. And I was flattered. <laughs>
0: but i think as well it's it's about um, it's about this whole theme of dreams and gla- glass ceilings that's going on here so it's not that everyone who reads faiza's book has to be inspired to become faiza and to write like faiza but it's that you can you can get somewhere you've got a voice and you can get that voice out and um, whatever through whatever channel that might be and I, I had a sort of similar slightly slimmer experience to faiza where i was on um an incredibly hot Northern Line tube um, a couple of summers back and I was trying to mark up some proofs and um, there were problems on the line so they were shuttling us it was at Camden and they were shuttling us back and forth on those two options of the Northern Line and we'd done this about four times and I'd lost my seat in the process and there were these kids with great big hoods who were doing the whole Verlon thing and truc de oof, machin pour, la Vache, and, and this whole thing and um, they were really kind of being quite sulky and difficult and they just picked me to a seat and, and I was quite annoyed by this because I was really trying to, to prove this thing and so I was sort of looking at them and so the one was going to the other you know, stupid girls, you know she's, she's really giving you the eye she's really annoyed here um, but the whole thing was was riffing off in, in Verlon. and th- this was getting bigger and bigger and eventually I said you know, by the way I speak Verlon too And this kid just jumped out of his seat and said, how on earth did you understand that? And how did you know what I was talking about? And what's going on? And he sat me down. And I said, oh, will I translate Fayez again? Oh, my god. (laughs) And and then we had this whole conversation about it. And they were um, young Algerians of of age about 20. And they'd done this business school in France. And they weren't getting the jobs in France. So they'd come to London because they thought it would be a less racist environment to try and get jobs in. And it was just extraordinary because they had me down probably quite correctly as this kind of sulky middle-class redhead. And, uh, and I had them down as these slightly difficult kids in the hoods. And um, we got talking through Faiz again and it ended up being this amazing encounter. I totally agree with what you said um, earlier to your la- to your translator's last question about writing, not necessarily about immigrant problems, but about anything, because you you're a writer. Um, and also what you said earlier about uh, possibilities of getting published for you being from um, I- immigrant background do, uh, do you think you would have been published at all if your first novel was not about immigrant problems mm-hmm. and I, I see this I, I myself uh, as well and I see this as you know you have to uh, it seems to me you have to write about immigrant problems if you want to be published at least for the first time do you think, I mean it's great, don't get me wrong, it's great that these problems are getting
2: voice but talking about literature, you know what I mean?
1: Je comprends très bien la, la question. Je... I understand your question very well. Et, um, je crois que, comme je disais tout à l'heure, je vous rejoins sur le point où uh, je, vous, je disais oh. qu'après les émeutes, il y a eu... Uh, toutes les maisons d'édition ont cherché leur petit immigré qui avait quelque chose à raconter de croustillant et qui pouvait être vendeur.
3: Well after the riots uh, every publishing house was looking for their little immigrant author who could write something slightly spicy and that would sell
1: Mais uh, en, en ma maison d'édition donc uh, mon editrice elle c'était vraiment un coup de cœur pour la voix c'est dire que ce qui l'intéressait c'était une voix
3: différente a voice she that C'est-à-dire
1: l'adolescente un peu cynique un peu blasée c'est ça qui l'a, qui lui avait plu et elle avait lu que 30 pages à l'origine donc il y avait pas um, Il n'y avait pas encore le contenu du livre entier, c'était la voix qui l'a, qui, qui, lui a, qui l'a poussé à me demander de finir le roman. So she particularly liked the voice
3: that she heard because she only read thirty pages and she's the one that encouraged me to finish the novel and she liked the voice of this cynical, blasé adolescent.
1: On, je pense que, de toute façon, il y, y a eu beaucoup de livres euh, après 2005 euh, qui traitaient de ces questions-là. En même temps, voilà, les livres qui traitent de ces questions-là pour être publiés, les auteurs qui traitent de ces questions-là pour être publiés. Euh, And after 2005,
3: there were many uh, uh, books that were published on on that particular theme, but I think that uh, authors who would specifically select that theme in order to be published, I don't think that would work.
2: Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.